First, a dual mandate in the public and private real estate markets really does maximize one's opportunity to generate alpha in real estate. Today, in most sectors, as we've discussed, now is a great time to prioritize the public market as it is on sale. Welcome to the REIT Report. I'm your host, Sarah Borks and Quito. I'm pleased to be joined today by Dave Bragg, co-head of strategic research at Green Street, to talk about potential opportunities in the listed REIT market, despite the volatility that we're seeing in the markets on a daily basis. Dave, welcome to the REIT Report. Thank you, Sarah, so much for having me today. So, Dave, first of all, can you give us an overview of the performance of REITs relative to private real estate in 2022 to date? It's been a fascinating year. REITs on a total return basis in 2022 have experienced meaningful declines, an order of magnitude of about 14%. And this is pretty consistent with the S&P 500's 12% decline. And it reflects a broader trend, which is just about every asset that one can imagine has delivered a negative total return this year. Private real estate, as measured by Green Street, has also generated a negative total return of about 3%. And this is based on our best effort to assess continued income growth offset by a decline in pricing based on observed transactions, as well as conversations with market participants about deals in process. However, there are other measures of private market pricing. For example, the NACREF Odyssey Index, which is widely used and functions as a scoreboard of sorts for many private market investors, that shows a double-digit percentage total return. This conclusion defies intuition, but it can be attributed to severe appraisal lag. Right. And that leads into my next question, which is um, what really are some of the factors behind that public-private disconnect? There are a few to consider, and the first one that I would point to is capital flows. They are a key driver today, as has been the case for many years, of the disconnect in public and private market values. And although uh, real estate can and does look similar, regardless of the structure in which it's held, there are strong preferences on behalf of some institutional investors that contribute to major discrepancies in capital flows. So for the private market, flows hit a record high in 2021 due to the continued success of close-in funds in the reimagined, burgeoning, non-traded REIT sector. Directionally, private market flows have remained robust in 2022. This year may even match last year's record-setting tally for capital flows. Meanwhile, flows into listed REITs remain quite tepid. And one explanation for this is that U.S. pension funds appear to not really acknowledge that REITs serve as effective proxies for real estate. Studies of their holdings published, for example, by NARI and CEM Benchmarking consistently show that listed REITs comprise only about 10% of the real estate allocation for a typical plan with private vehicles making up the rest. Now, our research has shown that over long periods of time, public and private market real estate have acted similarly, and the public market has actually generated superior returns, especially on a net basis after fees. 
In terms of other drivers of this disconnect, others worth mentioning would include liquidity and performance measurement, which I alluded to earlier. Great. And how does this valuation gap compare on a historical basis? And should it make investors look more closely at a mix of public and private real estate? So to put today in long-term perspective, REITs currently trade at about a 4% discount to the unlevered asset value of their portfolios, which we call gross asset value. And this compares to the 2% uh, long-term average. Now, if you zero in on the traditional sectors of apartments, industrial, office, and retail, you find a much bigger disconnect today relative to the long-term you find a 12% discount to gross asset value as compared to the 0% long-term average, meaning that over the long run, traditional sectors have traded in line with gross asset value. And uh, we do think that it should cause investors to look more closely at a mix of public and private real estate. Well, some investors, such as pension funds, appear to view public market volatility as a threat. We believe that it is an opportunity opportunity. Ideally, an institutional investor would have a dual mandate across the public and private real estate markets that allows them to take advantage of what can be an unusually large disconnect by prioritizing the former at times like this, the former meaning the public market. And our research has shown that buying listed REITs at moments when the disconnect to the underlying value of the assets is large has resulted in outperformance of the private market. And you alluded to this a bit earlier, but can you describe the public-private valuation gap that you're seeing across various property sectors and what's behind that? So I, I did allude to it in terms of the traditional sectors, but let's break it apart into some pieces here. So for example, apartments trade at a 15% discount to gross asset value in the public market. Now to put this in, in terms that are very familiar to real estate investors, that is an 80 basis point cap rate spread. So one can buy apartment REIT quality assets for about 4.2% non nominal cap rate in the private market today, or they can buy the same assets in the public market at a 5% implied cap rate. The gross asset value uh, disconnect is 13% in the lodging sector. It's 15% in the mall sector, although we'd acknowledge that that is a sector where the assessment of private market pricing is more difficult than others due to the infrequency of mall trades. The biggie is the office sector, which trades at a 28% discount to gross asset value on a cap rate basis. That's a 230 basis point spread. Now, some non-traditional sectors also trade at unusually wide discounts to gross asset value today. A good example would be self-storage. That's an 8% discount. This is a sector that typically trades at a sizable premium due to a number of reasons. One is that uh, the self-storage REITs possess very high caliber operating platforms relative to what's available in the private market. And they have demonstrated a terrific acumen in terms of allocating capital appropriately to grow. So they are 
on sale in a particularly unique way today, self-storage REITs. And then finally, another example from the traditional sector bucket would be shopping centers, which trade at a 10% gross asset value discount. So there are only a few sectors nowadays uh, that trade at premiums. And a big one is the tower REITs, which are tougher to access in the private market and happen to account for a big part of the listed REIT index. Given the discounts that you mentioned, do you think we could expect to see more privatizations going forward? We might, but that's tough to assess. Privatization activity was robust earlier this year, and hallmarks of that included PS Business Parks and American Campus, longtime stalwarts of the public market that were purchased by Blackstone. Generally speaking, big discounts to gross asset value do suggest an environment that is ripe for privatizations. Today, however, an offsetting consideration that we are very much so keeping in mind is the fact that many private market buyers of portfolios utilize outsized levels of leverage. And the recent and substantial increase in debt costs has resulted in a big decline in levered returns. So it remains to be seen. The environment is very fluid. What would be a perfect setting for more privatizations would be more stability in the debt market plus sustained public to private disconnects. And at the same time, although we're talking about privatizations here, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up that idea of public to public M&A. To assess that, one should look not at the absolute valuation spread, the disconnect between public and private. Rather, one should look at the relative spread in the public market between companies that might make sense to get married. And I mean the gross asset value premium spread. So an example of a marriage uh, that occurred earlier this year would be Prologis and Duke in the industrial sector. In conclusion, Dave, do you expect the current market volatility to persist for the rest of this year and into 2023? And what opportunities are you seeing for real estate investors to take advantage of that uncertainty? The first part of the question is just something that we know that we're not well positioned to answer well. We know that we can't accurately forecast interest rates or economic growth in a way that diverges greatly from consensus or other uh, factors such as geopolitical events. So we don't have a view on the outlook for volatility, but I can offer a few insights and conclusion that are worth uh, considering now and at other times in the future when volatility will inevitably present itself again. First, a dual mandate in the public and private real estate markets really does maximize one's opportunity to generate alpha in real estate. Today, in most sectors, as we've discussed, now is a great time to prioritize the public market as it is on sale. And then second, sector selection will remain critical for all property investors, whether they prioritize the private or public markets. We continue to see big disparities in return potential across sectors as we remain thoughtful about where cap rates are today, the capex required to achieve growth over the near term and long term, as well as risk. Great. Dave, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Sarah, for having me. I enjoyed it. And to our listeners, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe or leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.